spring of 1982. I was nine years old. I was attending Trinity Lutheran School in Manistee, Michigan, and, uh, and my world was absolutely rocked that year because the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod decided to publish a new hymnal. The last time they did a, a, a whole new hymnal, they worked with, with the ELCA and some other church bodies on the hymnal that's in front of you. Um, uh, but the last time they put one out before that, the last one that I experienced before that was published in 1941. So, I mean, this, this, this has been a part of, of my life, my, my parents' life, my grandparents' life. It's the only thing I've ever known. And then the church says, guess what? New hymns. New lyrics, new tunes. And if that weren't bad enough, they decided to change which translation of the Bible we would be reading in church every Sunday. When I was a kid, it was the, uh, the Revised Standard Version. Lots of these and thous in there still. And they moved to the New International Version. And every one of us at Trinity Lutheran School received a copy of the hymnal and of the Bible with a matching cover in fact, I was using that Bible last night when I was preparing for Bible study. Uh, you know, and it, it was just this, this whole complete total change. All these Bible verses that I had memorized, because I was, you know, was what, about fifth grade, going to a Lutheran school, I'd already memorized a whole lot of Bible verses. <sighs> and it was just completely different, completely changed. And, and since then, you know, we can't settle on anything. We just, in the last few years here, in 2006, got a new hymnal in, in the Missouri Synod here. And, and it's not just the Missouri Synod. Everybody else has new hymnals, too. Um, and, and we changed from the NIV to the English Standard Version. So everything that I memorized when I was a kid, from when I was really little, to when I was in middle school, to all the way through college, chuck it all and rememorize. So if I'm ever quoting a verse and you're like, that's not what it says, it's probably because I have four or five different things running through my brain. Because, you know, despite the fact that Luther says, never change the translation that you use three times in my 47 years. Ridiculous. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that really got people. They changed the Lord's Prayer. You remember this? Yeah. Yeah. I remember people being really upset so they're teaching us, you know, how to use this new hymnal in school. And, and I'm hearing when I come to church people who are really not happy about this new hymnal because they changed the Lord's Prayer. They changed the Apostles' Creed. You know, they got rid of the quick and the dead, you know, to the living and the dead and that type of language. It's no longer the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. Get used to it. Um, it's actually a better translation. But uh, the Lord's Prayer. Oh, my goodness. How dare you touch that? I remember, I remember a person saying, if saying our Father who art in heaven was good enough for Jesus, why can't it be good enough for us? And even then I had this kind of thought in the back of my head. I don't think Jesus spoke English. <laughs> and years down the road, it kind of strikes me. I don't think English even existed when Jesus was around. Definitely not the way that we speak it. And people really really freaked out because it changed the way that people prayed. And, and you know what, what eventually happened? 
They just kept saying the Lord's Prayer the way we've always said the Lord's Prayer. In, in fact, it's the same way that we say the Lord's Prayer here all these years later. Now, I think there are pros and there are cons to that, and we can talk about that another time in terms of modernizing language and, and then also having things memorized and being used to them. I think that there, there are good things and bad things on, on both sides of that. But here's the thing. God has given us a great gift. And that gift that I want to talk about today is prayer. Yo, know, when somebody speaks to you, it's generally considered courteous to respond to them, right? And that's what's going on in prayer. I, I think sometimes we have this image of prayer that, that I have all these things in my heart and in my mind that I need to bring before God. No, no, that's actually not where prayer begins. Prayer begins with the fact that God has spoken to you. He has reached out to you. And you know this better than a whole lot of people out there because he has reached out to you through his son to bring you life and salvation and forgiveness, to show you his love. He has touched your life in, in, in this incredible way. And he has spoken to you about this, this salvation that he has won for you through Christ's death and resurrection. How do you respond to that? You speak back to him. And you can speak back to him through a whole range of things. But we, we, we speak back to him. And we talk about the things that he talks to us about. And I think that this is an incredible picture to help us to understand how prayer works. God speaks to us in scripture and we speak back to him. And it's the same thing as when we were kids, when we were babies, we couldn't speak, and we, we listened to mom and dad and our brothers and sisters. We learned good words from mom and dad, maybe not from our brothers and sisters, and we copied that, and we spoke. And the same thing happens in prayer. God speaks to us, we speak back to him. And, and we have all kinds of examples of this in the scriptures. Abraham, man, his prayers are amazing because you literally have a dialogue. God speaks. Hey, Abraham, go outside. Look at the stars. I frankly not experienced that. I've heard God's voice in the scriptures. I've heard what Jesus says to me as I read the page or as it is read to us. So sometimes God's voice sounds like Jill's voice reading the scriptures. You know, and, and so I've experienced that, but I've not experienced like what Abraham had. And God, you know, God blessed Abraham to be able to just speak right back to him. Hey, you, you know, your wife Sarah's going to have a baby in a year. What? Really? And, and to be able to talk to him in that very kind of one-to-one type of a, of a relationship. But prayer has been around forever. The first recorded uh, instance of prayer, Genesis 4, verse 6, sometime after Cain killed Abel, after uh, Seth was born, uh, it says in, in this passage that people began calling upon the name of the Lord. People began to pray. And sometimes, just pick up your Bible, open it to the middle, it'll probably open up to the Psalms. And the Psalms are called the prayer book of the Bible. And... and 
boy, oh boy, there's a prayer for everything in there. All kinds of emotions, all kinds of feelings, all kinds of troubles, all kinds of joys. It's all over in there. And there's these beautiful prayers that are recorded for us. You know, I think sometimes we labor under this false impression uh, that we are the first. The first to experience whatever pain we're going through. The first to experience whatever joy we're going through. First to experience whatever sorrow, whatever frustration. So therefore, no one could ever understand what I'm going through. But that's not true. All these things that we have gone through in life and much more are expressed in the Psalms. And this is, this is why we use printed prayers. You know, I, I, I love prayer books. I have a couple of them that I use in my devotional life because these are the words of people who have gone before in the faith, who have experienced life, who have walked by faith, who, who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior and considered the situation that they're in, taken time to write out these prayers that they use to call out to God, that I can use to call out to God, and that you can use to call out to God. And I know that there's this impression that being able to pray from the heart, to just be able to be given a topic and, and to just off the cuff pray, uh, you know, is, is thought to be the way that we should pray. I think we need to push back against that. I mean, I think that's a good thing. You know, sometimes if you're, you're in a situation, you're talking with somebody and, you know, they found out that they're sick or they have something, hey, can I pray for you? I think that's a good thing. However, that doesn't mean that that's better than sitting down with a book and using, you know, these beautiful words and these, these deeper thoughts, slower thoughts, taking our time to talk to God. When, when your kids call, do you hope that's like a 30-second you know, conversation? Or are you hoping that they're going to spend some time talking with you? When they come and visit, my, my oldest two are in college. I get it. They don't want to be there when they come home. They have friends. They have things. But at the same time, I'm there and I'm like, would you just sit and talk for a while? Because this prayer thing is a relationship, and I think that God loves it when we sit down with him and we take the time to pray slowly. And so we have this, this special prayer that we use, this prayer that, that God has given to us. Because some disciples came and they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so we get to listen to this conversation with them. And we get to hear Jesus answer and to learn with them how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And you probably know this by heart. And if you don't, I encourage you to learn it by heart. So that you can carry it with you wherever you go. Can the Lord's Prayer be prayed word for word and still be a perfectly valid prayer? I sure hope so, because it's coming up in the liturgy, and I want that to count. Yeah, we do this week after week after week, right? But this prayer, it can also be used as a guide 
to help us to pray about what Jesus says matters. And why is that important? To, to, to find out what Jesus says matters. Have you ever been focused on the wrong thing? Yeah, me too. Have you ever invested hours of your time into something that's really, really not important? Facebook! Yeah. We have this way of getting sucked up into to kind of the minutia of life and, and things that really aren't that important. So the Lord's Prayer helps us to focus our attention on some higher matters, some things that, that rise, raise us above our regular everyday lives. It teaches us to pray about God's name. And it's not just God's name. You know, the Jews early on, they wouldn't even say God's name. You know, they wouldn't even write it out. But God has given us his name to use it for specific purposes, to call upon it in prayer and praise. And basically, so when we, when we say your name be hallowed, may your name be holy, it's really about what are we teaching people about him? What are we showing people about what our God is like? And when we pray about God's kingdom, it's about his salvation coming to people. When did we hear about the kingdom coming? When Jesus was here. He says, the kingdom of God has come among you. The kingdom of God comes when Jesus comes to people. We pray for God's will to be done. That, that we would believe in Jesus. And live our lives according to his will and according to his word. I think that maybe that's a little bit bigger than God bless mommy, daddy, you know, Heather, Brian, Timmy. You know, because he's lifting us up to think about what is, what is God concerned about in our lives. You know, we struggle to focus on these things. Uh, once I heard a quip that uh, we Christians, we spend more time praying to keep people out of heaven than we pray to get people out of hell. Think about that for a second. The prayer requests on any given Sunday, how many of them are about you know, people's health? That they would be healed and that they would get better. I'm not saying I want anybody here to die, but what happens when we die? We go be with Jesus, right? We're looking ahead to the resurrection. Is that not a good thing? But please, whatever happens, make sure this person gets better. And at the same time, we don't really focus on how the kingdom goes out to other people and how they come to faith and how they experience the salvation that we're sharing, that is our hope in our lives. And I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our earthly needs. He does. You know, we do have this petition, give us this day our daily bread, right? And, and we also have this, deliver us from evil. I frankly think that car accidents and illnesses are evils of this world, and we're praying for God to protect us from them. But I also think that maybe God might be a little bit more concerned about things like the forgiveness of trespasses. And protecting us from temptation. That we would be able to come to him and to, to get these things that give us everlasting life. So the Lord's Prayer becomes part of our prayer as we pray in faith. You know, along with all the other prayers of the Bible and the prayers of our own hearts and our minds, we pray them with Jesus. And we pray them in his name. 
And when we say we pray it in Jesus' name, it's not like it's a magical formula. It's not punctuation, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, that's like putting a period at the end of a sentence. It's saying, the only reason I'm able to come into God's presence, the only reason I'm able to lay these prayers and these requests before you, Father, is because Jesus died and rose for me. Because my sins have been washed away in his blood. It's because he has reconciled me to you, God. That we live in a relationship with God that is rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, just a quick tangent here. Are relationships messy? Okay, for those of you who are married, are relationships messy? Marriage is really easy, right? Yeah, relationships are messy. And this is true with our relationship with God, too. So when, when you get mess in your life, theologically we call that sin. Don't let that stop you from talking to God. Because our relationship with him and our prayers to him are not rooted in how smart we are or how good we are. They're rooted in his grace. They're rooted in Jesus' cross. And that's why we can come to him. And one more thing. Did you happen to read the prayer up here? Did you notice what's missing? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Big secret. Jesus didn't say that. So how dare we add it? Well, I would encourage you to go back and to look at our Old Testament lesson for today from First Chronicles. Because those words are almost word for word in that reading. And that, it's called the doxology. It's a word of praise. They were already using it in the first century. So, you know, not too big of a deal. It's scriptural. It's all right. So, just a few more things about how to pray. When you pray, I encourage you to pray humbly. Remember, this is God's gift to you. You didn't figure this out. You are a sinner who comes to him by grace. Pray humbly. Pray courageously. Because you have received grace and God has shown you his love. You know how he feels about you. Pray honestly. Because you're not going to fool him. Come to him as you really are. The hot mess that's going on in your life, he already knows. So be honest about it. And pray generously. And this is the probably the biggest challenge I would lay before us today. It is so easy for us to turn inward on so many levels, but also in our prayers, that we would focus on ourselves. And I'm not saying don't pray for yourself. You should pray for yourself. But pray generously. Because you have the ear of the God of the universe. And you have been given the privilege to be able to intercede for others. Use that lavishly. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for the kingdom of God to come to people so people can know Jesus' love and forgiveness. Pray generously because the grace that you have received in Christ is truly a generous grace. Share it in Jesus' name. Amen.